Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 114, Coming of Age. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Today, on a very special episode of Mission Log, Coming of Age, the one where Dr. Crusher finds cigarettes under Wesley's mattress, where Wesley kisses a girl while backpacking through Europe, and the Enterprise crew adopt a wisecracking kid who shows them all what it means to be a family. Look for Christy McNichol in this episode. It really is just, it's, it's truly special. Each week on Mission Log, we uh, we, we take apart uh, an episode of Star Trek or a telling of Star Trek of some sort, uh, sussing out the messages, morals, and meanings, and whether the whole thing stands the test of time. And uh, as John said before, this week we are coming of age. I'm kind of excited. Oh! <laughs> yeah, just just giddy. Yeah, just so giddy that we're coming of age. My, my voice was changing, actually. Yeah. Is what do was happening right do, there. Do they even do the after-school specials anymore? I don't know that they do. I they made know. a ton of them back yeah. in the day. Yeah. And Christy McNichol was the only one I could think of. It seems like I remember seeing her in one, but that might have actually just been family. Right. It could be. No, could be. Think about but it. But there were a lot of big stars who did the actual. Sure. Uh, who, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, what's going to get people to to pay attention to morality more than, say, Christy McNichol or Christy McNichol, rather, or uh, Leif Helen Garrett. Hunt. Hel- Helen Garrett. Hunt. Sure. There you go. Absolutely. Yeah. Eric Stoltz, uh-huh. except now we're doing Mask. You see, that's right. still not an after school special. It just seems like one. Right. As, 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 does, uh, as does coming of age. We're so far off track, it's not even funny. Yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, hey, you may want to join in that conversation that we're having, either about ABC After School Specials or maybe about Star Trek, if we get around to that. And uh, there are a lot of exciting and interesting technological ways that you can do that. Uh, first and foremost, online, Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. In all three places, our handle is Mission Log Pod, or you can call us, 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. And uh, our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And we also have two distributors who carry our show that we're very pleased to be a part of, trekmovie.com and trekfm. That's trek.fm. And remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of mission log now we kind of screwed up a tiny bit there john because that's a whole lot of stuff for you to say but you got a whole lot more stuff to say are, 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 you, are you ready can you do it do we need to take a break do i need to vamp for a few minutes or do you think are you ready uh for this week's trivia i'm good to go all right <laughs> well you're like james brown you're the hardest working man in podcasting no. <laughs> right right i got a ton of trivia for you actually um want to talk about some of the people involved in this episode um dan curry have to talk about Dan Curry because it, his name uh, just runs throughout modern Star Trek, everything from next gen forward. And uh, he got his start as a mat artist in the 1970s. Now, why would his name pop to mind in watching this episode? Well, I watched this episode and I saw the mat painting for the base on Relva 7. And I thought, wow, that looks incredibly familiar. Well, it was familiar because Dan Curry had created that very same matte painting for an episode of Buck Rogers in the 25th century. In fact, it was used in two episodes of Buck Rogers in the 25th century. And then he decided to put a big Starfleet logo on it so we wouldn't know the difference when we see it in this episode. And to this day, Dan Curry has that painting hanging up in his house. Um, Wait, are, you, are you actually allowed to do that? 
I guess I mean, so. Well, you're the artist. I mean, does he own that? Because, like, you know, Buck Rogers says, okay, we need this painting, and he does that. And does he just, like, sneak it out at the end of the day? Or, I right. Think would, I would you think you have be, to wonder. Yeah. Normally, you don't get to do that. Okay. But uh, maybe they were just feeling generous. I mean, it is interesting that he's actually not credited on Buck Rogers. There, there was uh, an effects team on that show, and uh, he, along with one other matte artist, did all the matte work. He did some incredible matte work for that show. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, his name actually isn't credited in that show, which is kind of strange. Um now, his first Star Trek job, though, is that he did the title design for Star Trek IV. In fact, a lot of his early work was doing titles for a lot of movies. And he went on to do so much Star Trek and so many other shows. And uh, his credit keeps kind of changing from visual effects supervisor to coordinator to producer all the way up through Enterprise. Uh, this episode, Coming of Age, was nominated for an Emmy for Makeup. Um, and particularly the alien special effects makeup that we see here. Now, it was written by Sandy Freeze, uh, but we actually have to give a huge amount of the credit to an uncredited Hannah Louise Shearer, who was uncredited for her extensive rewrite. Um, she, of course, was a story editor during the first season of Next Gen, and we talked about her as being the writer on When the Bow Breaks. Mike Vihar was a director. This is his only TNG directing credit, but he does come back into later Star Trek series, so his name will pop up again. There is famously a missing scene for this episode. Um, it would have been a preemptive 16th birthday party for Wesley in a lounge that is definitely in the forward part of the ship, but we don't know if it's on deck 10 or not. Uh, it was cut out for time. And can I say that it's preemptive because in the script, Wesley talks about how he will be turning 16. Although if it was assumed that he was getting into Starfleet, he would have been gone by the time his 16th birthday rolled around. So they're having a little preemptive gathering for him, uh, assuming that he would have been shipped off to the Academy. Hmm. Now, Ward Costello plays Admiral Quinn. His career started in the early 1950s, and he retired shortly after his stint on Next Gen. Um, Robert Schenken played Remick, and he started to transition out of acting in the mid-90s, and he started working more as a producer and writer. And he may be best known as the author of The Kentucky Cycle, which got him a Pulitzer Prize and a Tony nomination. John Putch played Mordock, and he has had a foot firmly in both the acting and directing worlds for most of his career, racking up just a huge number of credits. And Robert Ito plays Lieutenant Chang. He's another actor who has been in just about everything. You may remember him as Sam Fujiyama on Quincy M.E. or as Professor Hikita in Buckaroo Banzai. This episode proves the truth behind the Buckaroo Banzai statement. No matter where you go, there is Robert Ito. Prologue. Wes consoles his friend Jake about Wes getting to do something that Jake does not. It turns out that thing is taking the test to enter Starfleet Academy. Wes will be on Relva 7 taking the tests, while Admiral Gregory Quinn will be hanging out on the Enterprise for some reason. Picard and Quinn are old friends, and yet, surprise, surprise, the Admiral is less than congenial when he tells Picard that Quinn and the guy with him, Lieutenant Commander Remick, need to speak to him. Alone. Act 1. 
Quinn tells Picard that Remick is with the Inspector General's office. He'll be conducting a full investigation of the Enterprise. Quinn says he has reason to believe that there may be something wrong on the ship, but he cannot or will not say what nor why. Remick displays the tenacity of a terrier in his assigned task, and Picard is ordered to give full cooperation. When they're alone, Picard appeals to Quinn based on their friendship. Tell me what you think is going on. Quinn gives Picard the brush off, then heads to his quarters on the ship. Great, we got the Admiral for the whole episode. On Relva 7, Wes is meeting the other three potential candidates. There's the attractive girl one, the Vulcan one, and the one who looks like a catfish. Not to be confused with the one who looks like a fish cat. <laughs> Excuse me. The catfish kid is named Mordok. The others are called the attractive girl one and the Vulcan one. They don't really matter quite as much. I mean, come on, this is Mordok. The Mordok who constructed the Mordok strategy. You know, the Mordok strategy. The four meet Lieutenant Chang. He'll be running their testing. You guys are all great. Any one of you would be good enough for Starfleet, but only one of you was really good enough for Starfleet. This will be tough. Expect the unexpected. May you all do your best. On the bridge of the Enterprise, Remick is observing everyone, taking notes, and making people edgy. Riker and Remick circle each other like cats. Cats who don't like each other. Riker goes to find out from Picard what the heck is going on, but since Picard doesn't know, Riker finds out nothing. He storms out of Picard's ready room and ignores Remick's request for a conversation. He's got stuff to do. Act 2. Testing seems to be going well for Wes, Mordok, and the Vulcan one. The attractive girl one seems to be having a bit of an issue. Wes consoles the attractive girl one, and she says he's cute, which turns him a bit goofy. On the Enterprise, Riker apologizes to Picard for his earlier attitude. Also, he's ready to talk to Remick now, though he's still not happy about it. What Remick wants to talk about is a list of discrepancies in the captain's log. Riker says if Remick has questions about the captain, he should talk to the captain, but Remick reminds Riker that he is under orders to cooperate. And in short order, we get an idea of what Remick's doing. Remember all the stuff that's happened in TNG so far? Like that time Kaczynski, the guy with the Traveler, took the Enterprise to the edge of the galaxy? Remick quizzes LaForge about that. Remember that time Picard's brain was being taken over by the Ferengi? He's quizzing Troy about that. More on him later. In another part of the ship, Wes is hanging out in a deactivated holodeck. He's trying to think of something scary to confront on the holodeck in preparation for his psych test. He and Lieutenant Worf talk over fear. Worf is afraid all the time, but not of monsters. He's afraid of depending on other people. On the Enterprise, he has to do that all of the time, and it is a fear that he has never overcome. On the bridge, Riker and Picard are talking about something, when an alarm goes off. Someone is stealing a shuttlecraft. Remember Wes's friend Jake, the one who didn't get to test for Starfleet Academy? Yeah, he's stealing a shuttlecraft. Remick is not impressed. Jake tells Picard that he's going someplace to sign on to a freighter. Picard orders Jake to bring the shuttlecraft back, but Jake says no. Then he accidentally does something that breaks the shuttlecraft. He's going to burn up in the atmosphere of Relva 7. Act 3. Picard talks Jake through a really risky maneuver. A totally risky and counterintuitive maneuver that ends... It ends well. He bounces himself off Relva 7's atmosphere rather than burning up in it. Even Remick is all smiles. For a moment. 
then it's back to normal. How the heck did a kid steal a shuttlecraft from your ship, Picard? Riker says Jake's a Starfleet Academy candidate. Picard says sometimes kids do dumb things, but Jake's actions will be dealt with. Back on Relva 7, Wes and Mordock are confronted by a mountain of a Starfleet officer. He bumps Wes, who apologizes, but the officer gets hostile. So Wes gets hostile back. You want to go? Bring it. The officer is impressed. He calls Wes friend. Then he takes off. Mordock doesn't get it. Though Wes explains that halfway through the confrontation, he noticed that the guy was Zaldan. They hate courtesy. They think it's phony. Lieutenant Chang is impressed. Yes, that was part of the testing. Way to go, Wesley. On the Enterprise, Remick is quizzing Data. Remick says there is something wrong on the ship. Data says, no, there isn't. And I got a computer for a brain, so I would know if there were. And there isn't. So there. Questioning Worf and Dr. Crusher doesn't go any better for Remick. Finally, he's questioning Picard. So you violated the Prime Directive when dealing with the Edo just to save Wesley Crusher? And with that, Picard has had enough. Remick's had enough time to do whatever it was that he was supposed to do. If there were anything wrong, he'd have found it by now. And now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go talk to my friend, Admiral Quinn. Act 4. Picard takes his case to Quinn. It basically boils down to, dude, what the heck? Quinn calls for Remick to present his report. On Relva 7, the testing continues. Mordock is freaking out about some sort of spatial math problem, though Crusher talks him through it. Unfortunately, that costs Wes some time, though he does complete the problem. Lieutenant Chang congratulates Mordock. That was the second fastest time ever on that test. Mordock points out that it only happened with Crusher's help, but a win's a win, catfish. Take it. Now gear up. Your psych test is on the way. Back on the Enterprise, Remick is finally giving his report. This ship is awesome. Whatever issue you're looking for, Admiral Quinn, it's not here. If there's any fault, it might be a little too much familiarity among the bridge crew, but that mostly comes from a feeling of teamwork and family. And by the way, Captain Picard, when my tour at the Inspector General's office is done in six months, I totally want to serve under you on this ship. Yeah, hold your breath for that. All right, Quinn, now you've got some explaining to do. Quinn says he had to be sure that Picard was good because he and a few others suspect that someone or something is trying to destroy the Federation. Maybe nothing, but it may be something. And he had to know where Picard stood. Now that he knows, he wants to make Picard an admiral, and he wants Picard to take over as Commandant of Starfleet Academy. He wants Picard close. Jean-Luc says he'll think about it. Act 5. On Relva 7, an obviously shaken Mordock is leaving his psych test. It's Crusher's turn. He sits. He waits. Then he hears an explosion. Hesitantly, he leaves the room and finds the source of that explosion. Two officers are trapped under debris in the environmental lab. Well, one's trapped. The other is frozen in fear. Crusher drags the trapped officer to safety, trying to talk the frightened individual into moving. He gets the one man out, but the other one stays in the room as it seals itself off. Wesley tries to tell Chang what's happened, but... Oh, guess what? This was the test! It turns out Wesley's biggest fear has always been having to make a life-and-death choice for other people. Just as Picard made that choice where Wesley's father was concerned years ago. Chang tells Wes that he did well. 
Time now to see who goes to Sarge Fleet Academy and who stays home. And the winner is Mordock. He says it should have been Wes. Wes lost time by helping Mordock. Though Cheng says that's not what made Wes a loser. Or Mordock a winner, depends on how you look at it. Better luck next time, attractive one. Vulcan one. Wesley. Back aboard the Enterprise, Picard bumps into Jake. He commends him for keeping his head in the face of death. And he hopes Jake has learned running away doesn't solve anything. He also bumps into Wesley, who apologizes for letting Picard down. He failed. He failed Picard. He failed the Enterprise. Did you do your best? Yes. What do you do better next year? Yes. You have to measure your success and your failures within. Not anything that I or anyone else might think, Wesley. Also, Picard says he failed Starfleet's entrance exam the first time, but not the second time. Keep that under your hat, please. Picard tells Quinn that he will not be taking over at the Academy. Ah, well, who knows? There may not be a conspiracy anyway. I'm old and might just be seeing conspiracy everywhere. Ta-ta for now. The end. Ken, I just want to make sure that we're very specific. That's the Mordock. The Mordock strategy. I mean, honestly, I had to pause it because I never thought that we would actually see. It's like a it's like a it's like a football play, isn't it? I don't know what the Mordock strategy is. (laughs) Well, Wesley does. I know. Well, who doesn't? I mean, sure. The audience. (laughs) Maybe maybe Mordock is just incredibly vain. And and either his first name is the. So. You make sure that people address him that <laughs> no, way. And no, maybe no. maybe he just labels everything with his name. Like, yeah, that was the Mordock strategy. This chairman, that's the Mordock chair. Maybe. This computer, that's the Mordock computer. That, that, that's possible, I guess. I, I'm thinking uh, Wes actually needs a new PR guy. Because as cool as the Mordock strategy is, let's get mm-hmm. Mordock drunk. Let's, you know, <laughs> then head some space debris coming straight for them. And then let's let's make the only problem that's going to be, you know, able to fix it something that it would normally take months to do. But a right. drunk Wesley Crusher can do it like with his eyes closed, right? <laughs> right. Inside right. of like a minute. I mean, I'm thinking the Mordock strategy. I don't know how good the Mordock strategy is. Yeah. But I mean, Wes has pulled off some pretty cool stuff. He has. Yeah. He has. And Nobody that, named a strategy after him. I know, right? Yeah. The drunk kid maneuver. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. So uh, interesting things in this episode. Uh, Right at the beginning, they wasted no time in beaming Wesley down and Quinn up. And I'm just thinking a good thing. There is that just half a second pause in between. Yeah. Because we we've seen what happens (laughs) when when you've got a transporter chief with a with a hair trigger. You know, that's true. Yeah, that's no good at all. Um, Hey, you talked about the Vulcan. um, And even though she was just kind of there, you know, it's really unfortunate that the two female characters in the show who are guest stars Mm -hmm. really have nothing to do. Yeah. I mean, they they really are just there as dressing around the Wesley slash Mordok story. But this is the first Vulcan character with a speaking role in Next Gen. Is it really? It is, yeah. Wow. Yeah, we caught a glimpse of a Vulcan before. Yeah, there was a whole the Vulcan family before. one time, wasn't mm-hmm. there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. But we actually let her talk. Yeah. So that was cool. And, and I do have to say that, you know, Mordok, the Benzite is really cool. 
Yes. Like, it's awesome looking makeup. That's, of course, why they got the nomination for the Emmy. Um, and it's just a great kind of like outside the box idea of what an alien could or would look like. And and you sit there and you build this idea in your head of like, oh, well, of course, he has to have a little thing in front of his face so he can breathe. And, and why not? You know? Yeah, I was actually I was actually trying to suss out that effect. Like, do you put a little bit of dry ice in there so that every time he breathes, there is that steam because it it worked with his breath. I thought that mm-hmm. was, that was impressive. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if that counts as costume or makeup at that point. Oh, right. If that right. part does, but e- either way, that that part was impressive. Uh, although, you know, he really did look like a catfish. He did. Or a fish cat. No, he didn't look but, anything like no, a fish no, he, cat. He did. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he, he looked more catfish than fish cat. Very much like a catfish. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, Leslie is really not cool. And I, I felt bad for him in the opening scene chasing down Jake. Like, even before we knew what that scene was about, yeah. it just felt like the cool kid who wanted nothing to do with the nerdy kid. And and then I just felt bad for his awkwardness overall. And they kind of made a thing of it in this episode, particularly where you, you had the girl say to him, like, oh, you, you would be really obnoxious if you weren't cute yes. <laughs> you know? she so, thinks i'm cute uh she yeah. thinks you're obnoxious <laughs> no she thinks he would be obnoxious yeah if he just weren't so darn cute yeah but but what led into that was the uh the one-to-one matter slash anti-matter mix and i i felt bad that anybody would get that wrong it's like that whole uh, string of numbers it's like that whole string of numbers where they're like you know times this divided by this you know times zero plus one what's the answer mm-hmm. oh it's one one, you know, right. Yeah, because they did the whole, like, if a train leaves Chicago, you know, with antimatter. Yeah. <laughs> and yep, if right. another train leaves L.A., also with antimatter, uh-huh. you know, it's still, it's, there's still just one answer. Right. Yes. Right. Um, I don't know if you noticed it, Ken. There was a very important moment in this episode, crucial to our understanding of Star Trek and, and particularly what is to come in later Star Trek. And that is the Riker sit. <laughs> Was, was this the first time? This was the first one. Oh, wow. He, he comes into the captain's ready room. Remick is behind the desk. And Riker, like he is mounting silver in a remake of The Lone Ranger, he straddles <laughs> that chair from behind. Yes, which and, sounds dirty when you say it that way. Also, yeah. I will say more people have seen Riker do that than ever saw the remake of The Lone Ranger. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, such a shame. That's, uh, kind of topical. Or, yeah. Or no. Of course, I, I'm yeah. at the 1981. Uh, oh, Spillsbury. Incredibly uh, bloody, violent with uh, with Christopher Lloyd. Actually, we all talk mm-hmm. about Christopher Lloyd's turn in uh, Star Trek, but very few people talk about his turn in the Lone Ranger remake, mostly because very few people saw the Lone sure, Ranger sure. remake. Or, or or Jason Robards as uh, Ulysses S. Grant. Was, wow. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So let's see. It's the it's the Moonlighting podcast and the Three's Company podcast and then the, 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 uh, the X-Files yeah. podcast and then all the Lone Ranger remakes podcasts. So. Oh, and uh, Kolchak, uh, Night Stalker coming after that. I've never, um, never heard of that show. But, but yeah, here's the thing with Riker. So, it, of course, it stood out to me because if you're listening to our show mm-hmm. and you are, then um, you, you exist sometime <laughs> in the 21st century or beyond. And there's this video that's been going around of all the edits of Jonathan Frakes as Riker just mounting his chair from behind. Yeah. And, and Jonathan Frakes is a tall guy. And on the set, these are kind of little chairs. So rather than sitting like a normal person, he lifts his leg and just sort of crawls over the chair. And I, I kind of in this scene, I actually felt like it was justified. 
because they have so much tension between them. Yeah. And here, here's Riker, the, the, the tough, tall guy. And he's like, look, I'm so giant. I could crush you like I could crush this chair. Yeah. You know, so it kind of worked. Now, every moment after this, I don't know. We'll have to see. It's just a habit. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about Jake because uh, he stole a shuttlecraft and I kept thinking. Now, he, he radios to Picard and says, I'm just going to go get a job on a freighter. Right. And I keep thinking, cool. But even if you get that job on a freighter, you stole a shuttlecraft from a Federation starship. Right. They don't. They, they, it's not like a neutral zone where you're just going to like, oh, you know, we'd go, we'd get them and we'd get our ship back and we'd press charges. But uh, he, he's he's on a freighter now. He's probably going from mining colony to mining colony. We'll let him go. I don't think they would do that. Yeah, he's not. Well, I mean, the point is he's not thinking, right? No. Okay. No, no he's not. So, he's I mean, if, if you're trying to figure out his justification for doing this. Well, yeah, I, and I am. <laughs> and I am. Well, let's just move on. I mean, he was embarrassed, you know, so he did something completely dumb. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. But, but, then, but then he thought it out enough to think, like, here's what I'm going to go do. But, uh, all right. Yeah. I, well, I, here's the thing. Picard cuts him some slack. Yeah. Because we could have had a real Picard freak out moment when he confronts Jake. But, but Picard is totally cool. And yeah. I had to wonder if it was maybe the whole investigation environment that, that changed him, at least for a little bit there. Hmm. Yeah. Picard is totally cool in this episode, actually. But we should come back to yeah. that. OK, we will. I don't think we can avoid coming back to that, actually. But yeah, Picard is totally cool in this episode. Yeah. yeah. Across the board. Um, who also plays it cool is uh, Wesley in the moment meeting the Zoldan with the web fingers mm-hmm. and Zoldan's hate curio- uh, courtesy rather, yes. and uh, they see it as phony social behavior designed to hide true feelings. And I thought, well, that that that's actually kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, probably not not functional in, in any real way, but uh, but all right, that's that's a pretty cool thing there. And um, I felt like. Beverly had a really good moment confronting Remick. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? It was a, a, se- a series of intercut scenes where you had Data, Worf, and uh, Crusher mm-hmm. all back-to-back being interrogated. And uh, speaking of people playing it cool, Beverly totally played it cool. Yeah. No, that was, it, was, it was a good moment. I mean, it was um, – I didn't mention it in the recap because, I mean, basically he's just going around and, and quizzing everybody. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what is what is so he wants to know how she feels serving under Picard, uh, who, of course, had we don't we still don't know exactly how it is that Picard is responsible for the death of Jack Crusher. But but we're given to understand that it was either under his commanders because of something that Picard did directly. Yeah, they they made it sound like a choice. That yeah. He made. Well, they made it sound like that when they you know, were talking about the whole thing with Wesley later. Certainly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, she just tells him it's none of your business. Uh, yeah. How I personally feel about, you know, this person has absolutely nothing to do with what you're doing here. And so I'm not going to talk to you about it. Yeah, it was Which good. Was, uh, it was, yeah, it was nice. It was, yeah. it was well done. And uh, did you believe for one moment that Picard would go become the commandant of the academy? Well, I mean, you can't really ask me that question, can you? Well, because now you know the whole history. Afterwards. Yeah, now you know yeah. the whole history. But even then, you probably, I, I would think that there would have been enough. Hmm, what's the best way to put it? Probably if they were going to replace the captain mid-season, they were actually going to end up just losing the show. So I can't imagine yeah. while watching it that I was thinking, oh, wow, is, is, is he really going to 
is he really going to leave? You know, that, right. that that seems unlikely. But I don't think that was um, – well, again, we have to wait until we get to that other part. It's, <laughs> I, I like how they treated Picard in this. Not only how Picard, how cool Picard was through the whole thing, but how they treated Picard in this. But we'll have to wait until, uh, until later to find out why. Alternate titles for this episode. Star Trek, The Wonder Years, Wesley Crusher's So-Called Life, Wes at 15, and my personal favorite, Boy Meets World. Ken, should it worry us that we're starting to see a political side of Star Trek? And, and I don't mean the show making political statements, which... It has all along, which we will continue to discuss, you know, much to the Mm -hmm. uh, chagrin and disappointment of some pieces of our audience. Mm -hmm. Um, I I mean, just the fact that there are politics, distasteful politics in the future presented by Star Trek. So you're left then with Picard after he's gone through this rigorous investigation. And um, there was a lot about it that, that obviously was very distasteful and you could almost draw a line and say, okay, well, were the writers inspired by the idea of like, uh, you know, the, the McCarthyism in Hollywood or were they inspired by the idea of, you know, uh, J. Edgar Hoover throughout most of his career having files on people and do, doing all these sort of secret investigations into people's lives. And uh, and I thought then is Picard right by just sort of at the end merrily Sailing along, relieved that he doesn't need to be involved in the politics of the very organization that employs him. Because what we're left with in the discussion between Quinn and Picard is, you know, Quinn saying, like, this whole thing is broken. And there's something really messed up from the top down. And I've got to figure out who I can trust and and who's on the good side here. That I would think that if you're a guy in Picard's rank at his level and you've been around for a while and you've put a lot of trust in Starfleet that this could shake you, Hmm. you know, that this could really shake you to your core. And and I feel like this is maybe an indication that as we we started talking about a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago when I mentioned section 31 and how that's a thing that will be coming and we'll see kind of a dark side um, that are we worried now that we're getting off on this path that says, well, all is not, right and well in the future in which Star Trek exists. Eh, are we worried about it? It depends on whether you're talking about in show or outside the show. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't, it didn't feel to me like this was actually, it's hard to have this discussion without, without jumping the timeline, but I think yeah, we have yeah, to I a know. bit. There are certainly people listening to this show and certainly people that we've had emails from who have said that they're, what they're really excited about is when you actually do sort of get into that palace intrigue or that court intrigue kind of thing that happens inside this, right? Mm-hmm. And then there was the argument that we had when we started, I think, Next Gen, um, that uh, Gene Roddenberry really didn't want that kind of thing to happen in Star Trek. Right. And he was still... Maybe not in as much control at this point as he was when the whole thing was getting off the ground. But, I mean, he was still around when when this episode came out. My my feeling was that the whole conspiracy angle was actually just a way to present continuity. And what's weird is, I think it's presenting continuity to the viewer of that particular episode. I don't think it's starting in a long chain of anything. At least it doesn't feel like it is. Because mm. because because when Picard's like, well, now what is it that you think's going on? You know, then Quinn's like, eh, it could be nothing. 
(laughs) (laughs) I can't really say. It's just a feeling. A few of us are thinking until we wanted to check you, but you're good. And it felt to me like that was actually what this whole episode was about. It was about saying Picard is good. You know, and and giving it cohesion, because, I mean, while we have what, I guess it was um, 11001001. Oh, well done. Thank you. I (laughs) tried really hard when they when they actually refer back to, you know, what happened with the um, with the probe that had wrecked the um, had wrecked the holodeck. Right. 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 We haven't had a whole lot of going back and checking before that. And Remick, just in his investigation, checks like eight different episodes of next gen that we've had so far. And what's interesting about it is, I mean, what, what they're actually doing is they're, they're putting them together now as puzzle pieces rather than last week, something happened, but we don't even remember last week and this week, something's happening, but don't worry about it because it's not going to affect next week. And all three of these things don't matter. And then you've got, you've got basically somebody coming in. It's almost like they're trying to sell next gen to the viewer, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to sell its Mm -hmm. validity to the viewer by saying, Look how all of these different things that have happened have sort of strengthened this crew. And, and look what it says about, you know, about their captain as well. Hmm. And so when you ask the question, do I see any problem with the political intrigue thing? I feel like that was a MacGuffin. I feel like that was just the, the pretext to sort of sell to people. You might like the way, you know, Jordy and Riker and Data play in one episode. In the next episode, you might like the way that uh, Picard and Crusher play. You know, yeah, I mean, they may seem like genuine moments, but now the writers are coming back in and going, hey, look, there have been a whole bunch of these moments and you need to see them all as one big thing because this is a this is a cohesive group that is now moving forward. Oh, that's really interesting. See, now I, I, I think I still take it more on the surface. You know, I, I will take this idea seriously, uh, somewhat more so that. You know, they're introducing the idea of oversight and politics and all this into the fabric of the show, which, of Mm. course, made me immediately question, well, where was all this oversight during Kirk? (laughs) You know, because here, like you said, they just name checked a bunch of episodes. And okay, well, you probably violated the prime directive here. And Picard admits he violated the prime directive uh, dealing with the Edo people. Mm -hmm. But um, that doesn't seem to be what this is all about. Um, but that's a very interesting perspective that it, it's almost a a signal from the writers that, um, hey, look, we're we're part of Star Trek, too, and we're building a big mythology, too. And these are all the things you should have been paying attention to see, <laughs> all along. See, to me, it's not even about it's not even justifying we're also Star Trek at this point. It's just I mean, mm-hmm. it's not because they didn't do the whole, you know, they, they did not reference anything about the original series at all in this. I mean, they're no, basically, no. They're, making, they're making their case for themselves here, I think. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. See, the problem is I'm about to jump to the end, and I don't want to. Let's talk yeah. about something else, and we'll come back to it, because I have, I have another point that I want to tie into that later, but it's sort of in the whole, so what did you think part. Um, okay. Fantastic gem, another one of those lines that I absolutely love in this episode. Uh, when Worf and Crusher, uh, young Wesley Crusher, are talking on the holodeck about um, about fear, mm-hmm. uh, Worf says to Crusher, "Thinking about what you can't control only wastes energy and creates its own enemy." Mm-hmm. Um, that's a fantastic line. It's it's not quite the Catechism from Dune, 
you know, or, or whatever you call that, you know, the sleep is the, uh, not the sleep is the thing. What? I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. <laughs> I've got it written down here. It just took me a minute to find it. Fear is a little death that brings total obliteration. You know, it's it, it's not quite that kind of thing, but it's, I mean, it's just a perfect little summation of like, wow, so you can't change that thing. And so there's really no point in being afraid of it. Now, conversely, that's very different from Picard's whole thing about, you know, running away doesn't solve anything. Mm. Worf is not suggesting a stick your head in the sand. I mean, he would never say, well, you can't really change that thing, so you don't even be aware of it. You know what I mean? But he's also saying, I mean, if it's literally something that you cannot control, the only problem is, I mean, it it depends on what you mean by you can't control it, right? I mean, if, and I don't know the best way to put it, thunderstorms. You can't control a thunderstorm. If you're afraid of thunderstorms, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. And so you can worry about them all the time, but either there's going to be a thunderstorm or there's not. Now, mm-hmm. when there is one, certainly there are things that you can do. You can go inside. You cannot be outside playing golf. You can go ahead and put down that aluminum pole <laughs> or that steel right, pole or right. whatever. There are things you can do to be safe. But I mean, eh, suggesting to people that they not worry about things that they can't control, it's you don't want to go the other way and go like, uh, well, did you vote? No, I didn't vote because my vote doesn't matter. You can't control blah, blah, blah. I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's not it's not saying that um, don't worry, be happy. But I, I just thought it, w- it was a line that stuck out to me, although it's it's two very different treatments of, uh, of fear in, in some ways that come from uh, those two characters, I think. Well, I mean, I, I think they're both saying that you have to face it. I mean, we'll, we'll certainly come back to that in our wrap-up. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think the, the approach is really different. I mean, it, you know, what it comes down to is that Wesley gets his own Kobayashi Maru test here. Mm-hmm. They, they had to change the name because, you know, 80 years later, everybody knows about it. And, well, you know, they already know how to cheat and win on that one. Um, See, but I, don't, Wesley, I, I don't know, though. I mean, I don't know that it's just a Kobayashi Maru. I mean, uh, what Worf had told Wesley was they know what your biggest fear is. I mean, he could have been Indiana Jones, right? It could have just been a room full of snakes. I mean, <laughs> if Wes has no problem choosing life and death for other people, yeah. first of all, he might not be Starfleet material. But second, right. um, you know, maybe his fear really is just snakes. And so then it's just a room full of snakes and best of luck to you for the next hour. Right. <laughs> I would like to see that episode. <laughs> Wouldn't be bad. Wouldn't that be bad. would be very but, interesting. But I apologize. I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, well, it did kind of make me worry, though. This goes back to my thing about the whole uh, Inspector General's office and, and the sort of dark side of Starfleet, because it, it made me think, well, there are people within Starfleet now who are spending an awful lot of time and effort trying to figure you out. Mm. You know, this psychological test, they are serious about There is somebody reviewing your file in great detail. <laughs> Trying to figure out what scares you. Yeah. And and I was a little surprised at how incredibly small and specific the entry process is for Starfleet. You know, I get that they're on another planet, but man, only four people go into this testing room and they each have a highly specialized psychological test, which requires, you know, props and special effects and actors, at least in Wesley's case, you know, or if it's going to be a room full of snakes, you got to get all the snakes. That's true. That's you true. know, like it, this is a lot of effort to go through. And I'm thinking, you know, we we have to fill a ship with a thousand people and there's not just one ship we need to fill with a thousand people. There's a lot of ships that we need to fill with people. Yeah. So maybe we could do some learning on the job. Do you think this is why um, they can only accept one person from each planet? Because they've only got time to do like, you know, four psych tests right, a year, right. like do that kind of psychological workup for somebody? 
it takes a long time, you know? <laughs> it does indeed. But yeah, but, but somebody somewhere at Starfleet headquarters has got mm-hmm. a file with your name on it and what scares you and what makes you tick and what they think about how your brain works. And then they can come use it against you. Oh, see, here's what yeah, we're going to do that thing, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, come I on. So. Uh, come on. The holodeck figured out how to make Riker fall in love with it. it yeah. it's, it's not necessarily people, dude. It could just be computers. Oh, even better. So computers, <laughs> computers stay running at night so they can torture you the next day. Yeah. Great. That's awesome. Yeah, sleep Great. tight. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But um, now it is interesting that after Wesley goes through this very difficult moment, I mean, we're talking about a 15-year-old kid who has to go in and save somebody and watch somebody else presumably die. Yeah. And, and he kind of, he kind of shrugs it off. He's, he's very casual about it at the end. And I kept thinking, like, well, maybe if this had been made now, if this had been made in the era of new Battlestar Galactica, would it be psychological? Would it be tortuous? And would it be ending in tears? I mean, would he really have to dig deep and talk about what losing his father did to him and understanding the story of losing his father? But this is very, like, bright and cheery. And would have been even more so if we had that scene of the uh, uh, the, the preemptive birthday party afterward. Was that supposed to happen after? I believe so. Oh man! He, it, yeah, yeah. He he does that before he uh, he goes down. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. He he does the testing and then he comes back for the birthday party. That that was my <laughs> understanding of how that goes. Yeah. Ouch. That would be so dark. Yeah, that may be incorrect, but that was my understanding. Of that would be seen. crazy. Well, either yeah. way, either way, you're right. It's kind of crazy in real life. But again, if you want to talk about real life, then we shouldn't talk about you know the 24th century and 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 Starfleet <laughs> Academy and all that stuff. I mean, yes, in real life, I think Wesley would have had a few more problems with what happened. I mean, I think he might have hit um, Mr. Ito, whose whose character uh, Chang. He might have hit Chang, right. you know, and started calling him all kinds of all kinds of wonderful, colorful words. Right. Um, but you know, it, it, as we talked about before, it's kind of after school, specially. So, you know, of course it's going to be an aha moment, not a you jerk. <laughs> right. Right. Um, there's one other kind of, uh, a nice moment here that happens. We, uh, we talked about that, that series of moments between data Worf, and crusher when they're being interrogated mm-hmm. and, uh, data, gives Remick uh, a really great lesson in deductive reasoning. The, the, the scientific method, you may even say. Um, Remick can't find evidence to support his preconceived conclusion that, that there's something going wrong on the ship. And therefore, data suggests, the original supposition was wrong. <laughs> and that kind of makes Remick freak out. And uh, Remick just needs to follow the data. That's with a little d where it leads and not go the other way around. And it was kind of a great moment because it really set Remick off and it really pointed to the whole problem with any kind of a, uh, a witch hunt type atmosphere. You know, again, I go back to this idea in my head of the writers having been influenced by things that happened in relatively recent history. And it made me think, yeah, well, they, they've got it backwards. They're, they're chasing down anomalies to lead to their predetermined position on what's going wrong. Wes has grown a lot this week, but do his life lessons hold up in our lives today? 
Ken, I feel like in the last 45 minutes, um, I've come of age, you've come of age. But the question is, has coming of age come of age? And I guess what I'm asking is, does, uh, does coming of age stand the test of time? Does it hold up as an episode? Kind of what I was talking about earlier, I feel like the, the title alone works on a couple of levels. I mean, first of all, obviously, Wesley is growing up, but then uh, so is uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. It's not a best of episode, but they do a lot of callbacks, like I talked about earlier. And it feels mm-hmm. to me like what they're doing is, is they're, they're both telling and illustrating how everything that's happened to this point is making this a, a sort of a, a functioning crew. And maybe... Maybe it's not fair to say that they're going, hey, look, we are Star Trek. But, I mean, they are going, hey, look, we are a show. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're not even really trading on the Star Trek name at this point. They're saying that the strength of what these characters have been through under the command of this guy makes this an actual functioning thing. And so I, I kind of think that the, the title actually just coming of age works as, as far as this show is concerned. Um, specifically, as far as if only as if only they had done it as a clip show. Yeah, and it's, remember that time <laughs> we were trying to talk <laughs> the Edo out of killing Wesley, You're right? And then do the wavy lines, and yes, yeah. and then so, but then put a laugh track in it. Sorry um, for that, but I just popped no, into it's, my. Head. It's quite right, quite right. As far as uh, as far as uh, Wesley goes, I mean, obviously he's learning a lot about himself and about his heroes in this episode. Um, Worf says that Starfleet was very accurate in their psych test for him. And this is right after the, the gem line that we got from Worf earlier. Wes says, I thought there was nothing uh, that could frighten the Klingon warrior. And Worf says, only fools have no fear. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's this guy that he thinks, you know, is, is absolutely unflappable. And it turns out he's walking around frightened every day because, you know, <laughs> right. soft skulled humans actually have his life in their hands. But he's got to deal with that. He's got to deal with that fear every day. He's not over it, but he's working through it. Um, he finds out that Picard failed uh, the first time he tried to get into Starfleet. Uh, Picard, who, you know, with the exception of maybe having caused the death of his father, uh, has never failed (laughs) as far as Wes is concerned. He's stunned to find out that uh, Picard also didn't get into into Starfleet the first time. Um, Mordok, even Mordok, who came up with the Mordok strategy, um, has feet of clay. Wes is actually able to help him. Yeah. That's, I mean, and that's a huge coming of age thing. We, you know, some of us, I shouldn't say we all, but some of us remember the first time our dads let us down or our moms let us down or that teacher that we thought was so awesome. You know, we saw them, you know, in some other situation later and thought, wow, that's not okay. And in those respects, I feel like it, it all sort of, um, it all sort of works. It, it, it plays, at least the Wesley part, as an after school special, but it's also not quite as, um, not quite as. Well, as you say, it, it would be a bit darker today. Yeah, you know, if, if some of this stuff was going on. But in those respects, it honestly feels to me like it holds up. It, the, as long as you're okay with it being kind of after school special e, because I mean that is that is fairly slow and fairly plodding, and yeah, you know, kids, and they're not they're not young kids. They're not ten years or younger or anything like that. But I mean, you're still dealing with sort of the you're dealing with a with a a a teenage version of of a star trek story at this point but i I actually mostly i thought it was okay i mean seeing seeing both crusher and next gen sort of come in uh, come of age seeing them both do that honestly it felt like it worked for me what about you cool well i think i'm maybe a little bit less forgiving overall and uh but, but there are things that i like very much about this show you know the rarity here compared to 
all of the Star Trek that we have watched so far is the acknowledgement of Star Trek's past, mm-hmm. you know, um, and maybe maybe a little foreshadowing, but I don't want to jump the timeline. So we'll just have to hang on and see. Um you know, as a show, as an episode, it's produced somewhat poorly. And I know that I called out some of the very good effects in this show, and particularly Mordok's makeup. It's really cool. Um, but it's another one of those that look better to me in standard def than in HD. Mm-hmm. Um, especially there's this one shot um, looking down a corridor in the Academy testing facility, and you can actually see the shadow from the foreground set on top of the painting that is the force perspective background. And yeah, it just made me sad. Um, But you know, that's just me looking at little details like that. Um, I think the ideas in it are fine. I think the ideas in it are great. You know, even if Rimmick was cartoony, um, I was intrigued by the idea that there may be something wrong with Starfleet. Mm -hmm. Um, the, The idea that, in and among all of the things that we call Star Trek's mythology about being out there and looking at space, you know, it wasn't until really we got into the movies that Kirk had to deal in a realistic way with people above him. Every now and then you'd have a, a jerk Commodore show up on the ship and then they'd be gone at the end of 42 minutes. Mm-hmm. But then you, you but then you get to the movies and then Starfleet becomes a, a real thing with a real structure and people that they have to answer to. And I was kind of intrigued by the idea that that there is a bigger structure here that Picard and everybody else will have to deal with. And and how much of that do we actually flesh out to um you know to give some color to this world that we're projecting on our future. Um I really, honestly, I wasn't struck one way or the other by Wesley's story. Really? You know? Yeah, because I, I, I honestly didn't care one way or the other if he got into Starfleet. And maybe part of that is knowing what is to come. But part of it just, maybe it's because it felt like an after-school special. And honestly, when they got to the end of it and they announced that Mordok was the one who got in, I thought, well, okay, if it had been even a little hokier, they would have given a, you know, here's the Wesley Crusher special prize for helping out your friend trying to answer a question. You know, it it just seemed a little too on the nose. And I think I started to tune out during part of that. But, But I thought all of that was redeemed with his moment with Picard. I thought that was played very nicely. And even if it's a little unbelievable that that would have happened to Picard, so what? It was still a really good moment. Why is it unbelievable? Wait, why is it unbelievable that it would happen to Picard? Oh, because all we have seen of Picard is that he is pretty much perfect so far. Nobody's you know? perfect, though. That's the whole point of the lesson. See, you tuned out the Wesley part. Since the, no, 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 no. I, I, I know. I present it, right? I, I, I know, but I mean that—that's—that's that's what was so interesting and weird and intriguing by it is that I, you know, you assume even if you know very little about Star Trek, Star Trek: The Next Generation, you assume, wow, well, Picard's kind of got it all together because he always has it all together, and then he's the guy who announces that he he didn't have it all together, right? So, all right. Yeah. Okay. So not bad. All right, but let's talk about messages because it's rife with them. Yes. All right, what'd you pick up? Um, well, I think Picard was smart not to become an admiral because he knows what happens to them. 
Yeah. They just become terrible, terrible people. They become noxious, disgusting, awful people that nobody wants to be around. So, yes. so good on him for right. doing that. Right. Um, I mean, the whole thing about facing your fear, the whole thing about not, not being guided by fear, I guess, or not being controlled by fear um, mm-hmm. is, is um, I mean, that's the bonk, bonk on the head message, right? It comes up a million times in this episode. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess that's, 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 that would be the one, honestly, that I would take. Because I, I really don't – I mean, I feel like I, – I honestly feel like all the stuff that was happening with Remick and Picard and, and Quinn was really – I feel like it was an important B-plot, but it was a B-plot that was basically about – well, as I've said, like three or four times now, I think it was about Star Trek The Next Generation making the case for Star Trek The Next Generation. I didn't feel like there were actually messages there. I felt like that was character development there. I felt like that was you know this crew saying, this crew is Picard's crew. And so, so I can go ahead and leave that part off, and all the message stuff happens. It feels to me with Wesley, which you know is like help out somebody who needs help, and and um, and and don't be governed by your fear. Were pretty much the two big things that uh, that seem to uh, seem to come up in the Wesley story. What about you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I still can't trust the top brass Starfleet, no matter what. Not at all. Admiral, Commodore, whatever, just get away from them as fast as you can. Friends for how many years? Just doesn't matter. (laughs) No, no, no. Um, But yeah, you know, facing fear, facing consequence, particularly with uh, Jake, you know, we we learned that there. And um, we've seen it before in Star Trek, you know, not beating yourself up about what you do or or what you don't do you know um wesley is ready to beat himself up over not being good enough not not doing well enough he's terrified about the whole psychological uh profile test that he's given um and that he's despondent that he didn't get in and i'm not saying that he shouldn't be or wouldn't normally be disappointed yeah but um but you know he he needs that little uh pep talk at the end uh to to get him to go forward um but, I, you know I did, I did forget about that one too i mean picard actually says to 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 wesley um don't worry what i think of you it's what you think of you I mean, mm-hmm. do your best and mm-hmm. that's pretty much uh that's pretty much all you can ask so it's kind of a i mean that's an important lesson i think as well yeah i i think about that uh the wharf talk as kind of the the discussion between the difference in courage and bravery you know, because every now and then I've heard this discussion in movies before and certainly in books before. And the idea that, you know, to be courageous, it means that you you absorb and understand that you are afraid, but you persevere anyway. And bravery is sort of given the idea that you're you're doing that thing without fear, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, maybe Worf is making a case for being courageous, you know, saying you have to absorb and, and assimilate and understand your fear Maybe, maybe in the way that Kirk needs his pain to to go ahead with uh, with what he's going to do, um, but yeah, it's making this case for facing adversity boldly and unflinchingly, and uh, and I thought it was also kind of interesting that by the time we got to the end of this and and we're we're kind of kicking Quinn and Remick off to the curb, that Remick sort of learns that you need some familiarity among the crew to really have an exceptional ship. You know, have you ever been in a situation, Ken, where you you go to a job and they try very hard to say, look, no fraternization, 
and you're not here to make friends. <laughs> you know, you're here to do your job and then get out. And, and they sort of really lay down these heavy, heavy rules about that. And if those were to be followed by the letter, you would probably have a very unhappy workplace. And Picard so far has sort of, at the very first, maybe leaned a little too hard to the side of being all business. But then things loosen up. Things have opened up. Maybe you're talking about Star Trek The Next Generation coming into its own. The -hmm. characters have relaxed into their positions, as well as the actors having relaxed into their positions. But the characters, for sure. And it is part of that bonding that makes them better. Yes, no, I mean, right. that's, that is an interesting thing that uh, that Remick does find. I feel kind of bad for him that he had a job to do. And when Remick says, oh, by the way, I'd love to come serve on this ship. And Picard stops just short of rolling his eyes. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, he yeah. doesn't say not no, but no way no in front of him. But, I mean, it's obvious yeah. that that's not going to happen, which is kind of too bad because, I mean, you know, Remick had a job to do. And uh, yeah. sadly, he did it very, very well. So well that I, I guess, I'm guessing, this is the last time we will see Remick. Mm. I can't remember. Yeah, because yeah, why, why would you want him back? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Six months from now, he's not coming from the IG's office over here. I'll put it that no. way. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, hey, Ken, before we go, uh, a quick mention here of Roddenberry.com. We, we like to point out the different aspects of Roddenberry.com. Yeah, they have cool things that you can buy. They got props. They got toys. They got cool stuff. And yeah, they're a news portal. You can check out 1701 News. Um, but I don't know if you spent or our listeners have spent any time clicking through one of the items there, which is Adventure. And that will take you to Roddenberry Adventures. So if you go to Roddenberry.com, click on Adventure, go to Roddenberry Adventures, and they do all kinds of cool real-world stuff. So a lot of people may know about the Roddenberry Dive Team. And yes, they're still diving. They do crazy things like the red shirt dive where you're actually diving at night. Um, I'll leave that to other people to tell me all about it. And uh, but it, it's other stuff it, It's you know, uh, lectures and meetups and, and dinners, which is kind of my level of adventure is <laughs> going out to dinner with a bunch of people. Um, but it, it's great. Uh, you know, it is driven by the spirit of uh, adventure and philanthropy and uh, just having a good time and meeting up with other people. So when you go to Roddenberry.com and if you haven't checked out everything there, check out the adventure part of it. So do that between now and next week, but be sure and be back here next week when we hit Heart of Glory. Some of the music formation log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory. Free to download at kitheory.com. Next week, Wes starts a business, graduates high school, meets a wacky alien, and jumps a shark. And transmission. <laughs>